Developing the Leader Within is a podcast that focuses on leadership, management, and career development. We nosedive into the areas that are holding you back from your full potential. Let us begin. Welcome back to another episode of Developing the Leader Within podcast. Uh, I'm Enrique Acasa Gonzalez, and I'm just so happy to be sharing this episode with Matt France, uh, a good buddy of mine, Army veteran. And I just want to welcome you, Matt, uh, to, uh, to the show. And just want to make sure that, uh, you know, you feel free uh, to just engage as you will. And we'll go over a couple of things uh, that we've already predisposed uh, and just see where it goes. Welcome. That sounds good. I appreciate you having me, Rick. It's really good to be on here. All right. So uh, give us a little bit of background of who Matt France is. Sure. So born in Florida. Proud to say that. Really love the state of Florida. Um, stayed up here to go to college with the UCF. Graduated in 2006. Thought I was going to take my degree and do great things. I applied to a bunch of jobs, and I did not do great things. Everyone wanted experience, which I didn't have. Um, the Army was hiring, so I went and joined the Army. as a transportation officer, turned logistics officer, did about 10 years in the Army, seven active, three in the reserve, uh, led distribution teams in Korea, led a convoy team in Iraq, and then as the battalion uh, S4, or the uh, basically director of supply chain and supplies for an aviation unit in Colorado. Um, I was going to stay in for longer. I asked my branch manager for a uh, duty station someplace east. My wife and I were having our, our first child. We're going to build up our family. And the Army said, okay, east, I got you. And they sent me orders to Djibouti, Africa, um, which mm. is too far east. So we decided that was the end of my active duty career. Moved back to Florida and uh, worked for a construction company for about four and a half years. Built out a, uh, a digital supply chain performance management platform. Um, was honored with three awards uh, nationally for the success of the program, and uh, that brings us to here. Now I'm uh, engaged in the veteran community as much as possible, you know, with folks like yourself and other veterans here in Central Florida, through Camaraderie Foundation, uh, Four Block, Bay Bob, really anywhere I can get involved. So I'm really excited to be here, excited to share my story, share my story and feel like I'm in the big leagues now. I'm on your podcast. So, I made it. <laughs> so uh, that's so uh, wonderful for you to say. Um, I know that you received a, a Veterans Award not too long ago. Could you share a little bit about that? Uh, how did you get there? Sure. Um, so there's a, an organization in Tallahassee called the, uh, the Florida Veterans Hall of Fame. Um, and what they do is look for veterans that had a you know, successful military career. Uh, they also look for folks that are actively engaged in their local community, amongst other things. And uh, let's, uh, let's give it a shot and see if, if I've got what they're looking for. Uh, my family and I, we worked together, submitted a packet, and then I was actually ended up being selected. Um, so huge honor to be able to represent the state of Florida as uh, one of the Hall of Fame veterans. And uh, it's, it's really humbling. And I'm, I couldn't have gotten there without all the help from family, friends, and, and colleagues. So it's, it's definitely a great opportunity. And you know, for other veterans, I encourage you out. Um, you never know what, what could happen. So check it out and see if it's something you want to apply to. Ah, that's wonderful. It's so good to be in a state where they do focus on veterans, highlighting veterans, uh, supporting veterans through the uh, VA system and their, uh, the local governments. 
uh, it's always refreshing to be in a state that actually takes the time to invest in their veteran community and population. Um, in, in your role, uh, being that this is a, a leadership podcast, in your role in the Army, can you give us a little bit uh, of your leadership experience, things that you may have seen uh, and, and you won't, would like to share? Sure. Um, so most of the, the opportunities I had in the Army were leadership roles one way or another. Uh, you know, I've always said, and a lot of other veterans will say, the best job they've ever had was being a, a platoon leader or a platoon sergeant, someone who's in charge of uh, troops or soldiers in our case. And I think what that really speaks to is the ability to see the tangible results of your leadership and the decisions that you make, because you're right there with the soldiers or with the troops and what you decide to do uh, comes to fruition and plays out right there in front. Um, my first duty station was in Camp Casey, Korea. I was a distribution platoon leader. So we were in charge of everything from food, fuel, ammunition, uh, movements of supplies. So we were you know, really able to sustain the tank battalion that, uh, that we were attached to. And one of the, the things that I really enjoyed as a brand new leader in the Army uh, was being able to learn from folks that you know, have way more experience than me, even though my rank technically is greater than theirs. You know, I'm, I'm able to understand that their experience is you know, light years above what I have. So um, the first thing that I was really focused on as a new leader was being able to you know, humble yourself beyond the rank, recognize that I didn't know everything. And then if I took the time to build a rapport and learn from my soldiers that you know, would make me a better leader down the road and you know, kind of the nice benefit that wasn't really intended was uh, you, you earn your employees or your troops respect by you know, getting down there with them. If it's raining, you're standing in the rain with them. If something's broken, you're under the truck uh, trying to fix it with them. And really learning what your uh, what your group is in charge of, and then being able to execute it yourself. Um, so, a really an awesome experience for me, getting to be right there and see uh, how my decisions impacted my group, my employees, and then all the way up the chain of command. Uh, you know, as supporting a battalion as a, a sustainment brigade, um, you get to see your actions impact everyone. Because if you don't bring supplies, or you know, you don't. Uh, request land or whatever it is you're, you're tasked with doing, no one else is going to be able to complete their mission. So I, I really enjoy being able to connect those dots. And um, how do you feel that all of that experience in the Army has helped you uh, once you got out and started working in the, in the workforce? So I, I think it's a, a game changer, really, because when I joined the military from when I got out of the military, a completely different attitude and mindset when it comes to leadership um, you know as a leader in the military most folks will tell you the successes are your soldiers or your peoples and the failures are yours so you need to own them and that's something that i, I really learned early on that i was able to carry through my military career and then coming into the civilian workforce keeping that same mindset of being that buffer between higher management and your team really helps your team focus on their mission and not have to worry about messing up uh, or getting yelled at for messing up because you as a leader can be that deflection. So you know, if I'm leading a team of 10 folks and someone messes up and it puts us behind schedule, if I take that blame, then they know that they have the freedom to not mess up, you know, frequently, but if it happens, which it will, 
they don't have to worry about uh, you know, losing their job or um, being yelled at in front of all their peers because they know that their leader is going to take that um, reflection for them and they can really focus on what they're there and supposed to do. So that's, that's one of the biggest things that really um, I brought over from the military. And the other concept is you know, we, we work to standard, not to time. And it, it was annoying to hear in the military because that just meant that you're going to be out in the field later. Whatever you're doing, you're going to be doing it for much longer. But you know, when you transition to a civilian job, when five o'clock hits, a lot of folks are just, okay, we're done. I'm going home. But you know, you'll see this in military leaders is, well, yeah, five o'clock is, is here. The day is technically over, but we're not done yet. You know, we're going to stay here, get this mission done. We're going to make sure this project is complete we're going to hit our deadlines. So there's really a, a, a no failure mindset within the military leadership. And I think you'll see that a lot with veteran leaders in the civilian world. Yeah, that's, uh, I've, I see that and I know the, uh, the background and, and, and I have lived uh, exactly what you're uh, saying. Uh, and, and undoubtedly there are leadership times in the military where crisis is the, is the actual uh, flavor of the day. And being that we are in a situation where a crisis seems to be all around us 24-7, uh, uh, how do you think your leadership development and skills and all that you learned in the Army has kind of prepared you for kind of times like these? Absolutely. So I think for me personally, when a crisis hits, um, for example, when I was in the military and a crisis would hit, or something had to happen you know, three days ago, but I need it today. That's when you'll see uh, leadership skills really start to shine. It's almost like someone flips a switch. It's like, okay, here's our mission. Let's do it. We got to make this happen no matter what. And you bring the team around you. Everybody's focused on that one project. The buy-in is high and everybody works together. And then afterwards, everyone's kind of talking about it. And that helps build morale, which I think is really cool. Um, it happens all the time in the military. It definitely happens all the time in the civilian sector. And it, it's something that builds confidence in your team and the leaders. Because once you've overcome enough of those crisis situations and it's been successful, that gives you as a leader the confidence that, hey, whatever comes up next, I know I can handle it. And I don't know what, what it might be, but I know that I've got a strong team behind me. And I know that I have confidence in my decision-making skills. And that we're going to come together and overcome uh, whatever that crisis is. Something else I think that a lot of leaders will learn now, specifically through the, the COVID-19 pandemic, is being able to trust your employees more and empowering them to um, make more decisions on their own. You know, it's, there is no choice right now. You have to work from home or have to work remote unless you're you know, a healthcare worker or someone that's absolutely critical to be in that position. But a lot of businesses are seeing that this remote option actually helps us you know, perform better. Uh, it actually helps us meet our goals, which maybe they didn't think that was possible. I think there's a stigma that comes with uh, working remote or working from home that, okay, cool, I'm at home. I'm just going to turn on the computer and hang out and watch TV. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there's a a strong buy-in from a lot of folks. You know, they don't want to lose their job. They're obviously going to do their work. And this gives an opportunity to show their boss or their leadership that you know, they can be trusted. You can trust me to work remote, and I'm still going to meet my deadlines. So it's a, definitely a dynamic change, but it's a forced one that I think will bring good results once we have the opportunity to go back outside.
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I I was just uh, the other day, I, I'm, I'm sitting at my laptop and I'm going away working on, you know, uh, the company. And I'm looking at the clock, it's 9.30. My wife's looking at me like, you've been out there on that, on that computer for 12 hours. And the last time I did 12 hours uh, of, of constant work was in the military, right? Because we, like you mentioned before, we're fo uh, mission uh, focused. And so until that mission is done, we're not done. And so I still have that mentality. And uh, I, I think that employers will see that there is a demand on the employee doing these things uh, from, you know, from home uh, and almost a pressing uh, uh, issue of, A, I have to get this done because it's going to look either favorably or unfavorably for me uh, being in this, you know, work from home situation. Uh, it's, it's funny because my, my next question was going to be exactly that. You know, what do you see changing uh, in the future uh, due to this uh, pandemic, due to this crisis, uh, you know, within the workforce? Uh, I think there's going to be a couple of changes. One, I think employers are going to trust their people more because they've worked at home and still succeeded and met their deadlines. Something else, I think, from a you know, senior leader perspective is maybe some companies can reassess whether or not they actually need a, a brick-and-mortar establishment. You know, if they could cut the cost of their you know, rent or mortgage or whatever it is, that's a, a whole lot more money that they don't have to pay. So if your entire team can work remote and still achieve the results that you were getting while you were still paying for that, uh, that office space, you know, that, that not only saves you on the rent, but think of all the you know, second and third order uh, charges that you don't have to have now, right? So uh, electricity, utilities, office supplies, things like that. Um, you, you may still have to buy some certain things for your employees to get set up at their house, but you know, that's still a, a small drop in the bucket when you consider how much money companies spend on uh, uh, assets and, and overhead just to house their employees. So I think a lot of companies are going to start taking a, a good look at that right now. And um, my opinion is that's going to be the biggest change. Right. Uh, I, as I was seeing the flood of, you know, uh, just orders of, hey, you work, you know, don't, don't go out, work from home. The very first thing that I thought was, you know, the, the money aspect of running an organization was going to be looked at because now you will realize how much you could do. Uh, and there were a lot of people that were afraid of the work from home situation. Uh, granted, this is a, uh, a kind of like a safety for, for humans, uh, but it's also providing a platform for companies to be able to look at and, like you said, uh, kind of gauge where and what benefit they're getting from this whole situation. Uh, and I agree that there's going to be a lot of look, looking at the specifics as to how much things cost compared to having someone at home um, and also what uh, benefits to an employee. Uh, will come. You know, I don't know about you, but I was paying here in Florida, I was paying tolls left and right. Yeah. I haven't, seen, yes. <laughs> I haven't yep. seen one toll bill yet. Uh, That's been crazy. I filled my car about a month ago. 
haven't, haven't used it. Uh, so there's a lot of benefit financially. Uh, mm -hmm. Lunch, right? Lunch was a big uh, yeah. uh, tax on an employee. And so all these different kind of savings, both on the employee's standpoint and the employer standpoint, will highlight, you know, that there are some ways to uh, cut back on those things and still get the, the job done. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's a huge part, too. You think of all the companies that are, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies that um, now are having their employees work from home. Now, if you give the opportunity to uh, new hires, hey, one of your perks is you also get to work from home. Well, that changes the, the whole thing, right? That, that may be a decision maker. If you're sitting there between two or three new job offers and they're all solid companies, the pay is similar. One lets you work from home or one makes you come to the office. I would definitely lean towards, uh, you know, working from home. And I think one other thing that would, would change is the stress level of a lot of employees. So you cut out the commute, which makes everyone angry, you know, both to and from work. So now you've got less stress because you're not dealing with traffic congestion. You're staying at home. So you're, you're in a relaxed environment. You don't have to wear jeans. You can wear basketball shorts, wear whatever you want. Um, you know, just as long as you look good from the waist up, it's, it's good to go. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for companies to really capture a whole lot of additional talent with perks like this. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there's growing pains as in anything, uh, but you're so right when you talk about what would make a difference between one employer and the other. Uh, this could be that, uh, that, that tipping point uh, for someone deciding, hey, I'm gonna go with these people uh, you know, this company for, uh, for my future employment. Uh, right. when, uh, undoubtedly we've had, uh, some time to, uh, educate ourselves and, and, and read some books. And I hope that most people are taking, uh, the opportunity to do that. Uh, and talking about books and leadership, uh, have you, have you been reading any, uh, or do you have any suggestions as to, uh, the audience? Hey, this is a good one. Sure, absolutely. I'm reading a, a couple right now. Um, there's three specifically that I, you know, I'd recommend to folks. Um, this first one is really good, uh, particularly for veterans that are transitioning, um, really for anyone. So it's a Harvard Business Review Guide to Office Politics. Um, you know, in the military, you didn't really have to deal with necessarily office politics too much. You know, when the commander said something, you just executed. There was no, uh, you know, negotiation or anything like that. But it really, this book kind of opened my eyes to um, kind of a, a subculture of how things work in the office. You know, one example that they give in the book is if you, you, know, you walk in and somebody wants to share their story with you about how their weekend was and you, and you really don't want to hear it. Well, if you ignore them and walk away, well, that's changed their perception of you. Like, oh, you know, Matt doesn't want to hear my story about my weekend. He's a jerk. He doesn't want to hang out. I don't like him anymore. And then when it comes time to do your actual work and you need to go talk to that person to get something done, they're not going to be as inclined to help you out as quick or, you know, do that extra step necessarily. So it's, it's a lot of you know, interesting things to think about um, through all sorts of different stuff, from conflict to, you know, office stories to why you mentioned going to lunch, why going to lunch with your uh, peers and colleagues is important, different things like that. So that's the first one that I definitely recommend. Um, the second one is called The Checklist Manifesto. It's how to get things right. Looks like that. 
and it, it discusses kind of the importance of building out your strategy specifically through a checklist. It talks about uh, how test pilots for, I forget what the aircraft was, um, but a, a World War II aircraft, they had a top-notch pilot get in the, the plane and go to test it and ended up crashing and dying. And everyone was so confused as to what happened. Um, and it turns out that it was a completely new uh, system to actually fly the plane, but there was no checklist or training or anything to show them how to do it. And the, the value really comes from, um, and when you're in situations of, of crisis or you know, things that need to happen quickly, if you have this checklist, it points you down the critical path of decisions you need to make in order to get through that crisis successfully. Uh, there's a lot of examples in the book of doctors and hospitals that have uh, created checklists for different types of surgery, and they, they saw a huge drop in the, uh, the death rate based on those surgery just because there was a checklist that everyone could follow. You know, something that they pointed out in the book would be uh, when someone comes into the ER and it's uh, super important that everyone takes care of this person right away, uh, maybe you forget to wash your hands and now you're, you know, you're working to save everyone, but you didn't wash your hands. So now you've given them an infection and then that you know, prolongs their recovery. So really pointing out the importance of the steps that you need to take to succeed and then how to make a checklist that's brief enough that you're not reading, you know, page after page in an emergency situation, but it's got enough of those points where you can successfully complete the task and, and make sure you hit all your markers. And then uh, last one is uh, execution, the discipline of getting things done. Looks like that. And this one was uh, really good for me when I came out of the military. I wanted to make sure that I could complete projects and run programs uh, in compliance with how the company was expecting me to succeed. You know, running projects in the military uh, often goes something like, hey, Captain Franz, go do this. Sir, I don't have any idea how to do that. I don't care. Go figure it out. Okay, and you go figure it out, right? Doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way, but you get it done. Um, something I learned coming from military civilian is there is a right way, there's an expected way, and there are steps that you need to hit to make sure your project not only succeeds, but can be presented and uh, communicated to senior leaders at any time, right? So walking up to your vice president saying, don't worry, sir, I've got this. That doesn't fly anymore. You need to have proof. You're gonna be called into a meeting. Here's my results, you know, here's my uh, key performance indicators, here are my critical success factors, and here's how my team is performing, and then assign uh, possibly budgetary constraints and time constraints to each person, you know, following kind of the, the PMP and official project management guidelines. So uh, this book, Execution, just going to get things done, really uh, help me set up a, a strategy and, and move from there. So those are the big three, and um, they're pretty easy reads. I think everybody will... will Get some value from them. Oh, thank you for those. I I, I totally <laughs> love all three of those suggestions. Uh, you know, one being that you know I love checklists, right? So I yeah. I, I drive my life uh, around checklists. Uh, yeah. My wife would always say, you know, hey, you always want a list. I need a list, right? Yeah, I'm the I same. I got right here is my my list of stuff to do today. So I just cross it off as I go down, and that's how I know I'm getting there. Yeah, that's how that's how you know you're achieving. So, yeah, I I really uh, thank you for the time that you've given uh, to us, the audience, and uh, the words that you've shared. I 
I congratulate you again on all your successes and, and the you. accolades that are, are being showered on you. Uh, well, uh, you're worthy of them. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you. Uh, and also for the, for the books. The books are going to be something that uh, I'll make sure to have uh, either the link or a picture of them uh, in the uh, episode so that uh, folks can go and steer towards them uh, at cool. their leisure. Um, and one, one quick thing on that, um, most folks will go to Amazon, but fun fact, uh, there's a website called Thrift Books. Um, so if you go on there and look for it, a lot of them are old library books. They're about half price, much cheaper. So check it out, see if that helps you. Outstanding. Thank you for that tip. And, uh, and for our audience, uh, uh, please reach out to uh, Matt. Matt, if they were to uh, reach out to you, how can they find you? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, LinkedIn is the perfect way to connect with me. Um, you'll see my picture looks a lot like this. So just shoot me a, uh, a connection request and, and I'll be more than happy to connect with everybody. Outstanding. So uh, there you have it, folks. Uh, Matt France, a veteran here in the Central Florida area doing great things. Uh, post, uh, you know, service and, and now in the civilian sector. Uh, and I just want to encourage everyone to, uh, to educate yourself, get one of those books uh, suggested, uh, you know, take one of the tips from the HBR uh, or the checklist uh, or what have you. But uh, I thank you for tuning in uh, to Developing the Leader Within, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Rike. Really appreciate you having me. And thanks, everybody, for watching. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'd love to hear suggestions for our future shows or any remarks you may have that will help us improve. Until then, success to you. <laughs>